Welcome to Engineering Misjudgment with me, Shannon. I have a degree in chemical engineering and work as a risk consultant engineer. Eventually, I'll tell you more about me, but today is not that day. Today, our topic is the Bhopal disaster, so let's get to it. With every incident, I start my research with the chemical safety board. This incident is no different. Sometimes soon, I'll bring y'all a couple of bonus episodes to explain organizations like the Chemical Safety Board, OSHA, EPA, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which also goes by NRC, the Energy Information Administration, and maybe the FDA and NOAA. I just thought about the USDA. There are so many that I mention and look to for initial information before going to journal articles and books to get more specifics. Maybe I'll call it something like Alphabet Soup. All of these are U.S.-based, but most of them have counterparts in other countries. Unfortunately, many of the parent companies involved in these incidents are headquartered in the U.S. or Europe. So those organizations with more resources in the home country of the company will do investigations along with agents local to the disaster. Now stop. What are you thinking from that last statement? Wow, the U.S. and Europe make so many opportunities for global economic growth. Well, many of the times their companies do that to sidestep regulations or for cheaper products than in their home country. I make no claims of being anti-globalization, but colonizers be colonizing. Globalization is supposed to be a two-way street, and when it's not, it's just imperialism by another name. I don't make the rules or definitions. So before we talk about Bhopal, let's take a trip back to physical science or chemistry class. One of the first things you learn about are the states of matter, so solid, liquid, and gas. This disaster is due to toxic gas, so I thought it would be appropriate to talk about gases, especially plume gases. If you're not a chemistry girl, this might be a little bit traumatic, but we're going to talk about weight of the gas or vapor density. And for the chemistry queens, I know the weight and mass are not the same thing. Okay, okay. Vapor density for a gas is in relation to another gas. Some measurements use hydrogen, but when it comes to safety, using air as a main comparison gas makes more sense. If the vapor density of air is 1, then a vapor density more than 1 means that the gas is heavier than air and will sink to the ground. If the vapor density is less than one, the gas is lighter than air and will rise. In the Bhopal incident, the gas methyl isocyanate, also known as MIC, is heavier than air and sinks to the ground. Another heavy gas that it's more common is ammonia. So you'll find ammonia in cleaning agents, agricultural products, the environment generally and even as a part of refrigeration systems. Ammonia without water in liquid form can make a heavier-than-air gas. Generally, released gases move through the air and are called plumes or plume gas. A plume can be any fluid moving through another thing. It gets confusing, but putting something in water or soil or air can be called plumes. Here, we're talking about air. Engineers and scientists do have models to figure out how plume gases will travel 
especially from a point source or one location. It ideally, keyword ideally, would be a part of the process safety design to account for where releases of toxins will go. Now that we've talked a little bit about plumes, which I'm realizing is much harder to say out loud, I wrote this all down just so that I could get it correct, and I now am hearing myself say plume, P-L-U-M-E-S, a very strange word, but it's the word that's used like the scientific one from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers. Anyway, let's get to our incident. Union Carbide, also known as UCC, states on their website, in the early hours of December 3rd, 1984, methyl isocyanate MIC gas leaked from a plant owned, managed, and operated by Union Carbide India Limited, also known as UCIL, in central India city of Bhopal. So let's start with a little bit of background information on Union Carbide Corporation, also known as UUC. Founded in 1917 through mergers with other chemical corporations, UUC bread and butter is that they developed an economical way to make ethylene from natural gas giving birth to the modern petrochemical industry. That last quote was directly from their website and I'll try to make sure to show the changes or the difference in between what UUC says and other bodies say because there's a lot of back and forth in the story for sure. Generally from reading what they had on their website They make specialty chemicals that go into everything. And I cannot stress enough that they make everything. It's so nonspecific, but also very specific at the same time. Everything includes polyethylene and polypropylene into containers for food and general storage, toys and plastic bags. They also make antifreeze and polyester fiber from ethylene glycol. Uh, isopropanol, aka rubbing alcohol. They make a couple of surfactants, which are soaps and detergents. Biocides, which prevent bacterial growth in cleaning products and makeup. And polyene, polyethylene glycol, also known as PEG, PEG, that goes into consumer products like medicines and is listed under other names like Miralax. So before recording, I went to look at my general medicines and vitamins, and my iron supplement actually has polyethylene glycol. I'm definitely not a all chemicals are bad type of person, but you should be aware of what's surrounding you and what you let kind of in your environment. And that's just general plain life. That could be like chemicals, but also people. So take that as you may. The next portion of this information comes from multiple sources that you can find in the description with direct quotes from Bhopal Plant Disaster Appendix A, chronology by M.J. Peterson, published in the International Dimensions of Ethics, Education, and Science and Engineering for the journal's case study series in 2009. In 1920, UUC set up the first commercial ethylene plant in West Virginia and the petrochemical industry was born. Through the 20s, UUC opens up multiple locations in West Virginia. Through the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, UUC was expanding within the U.S., mostly in Texas and Louisiana, and internationally. 
Union Carbide India Limited, UCIL, was a diversified manufacturing company incorporated in 1934, which UUC had a majority stake in. During UUC's growth in 1956 to be in line with the government of India, UUC sold 40% of its ownership to Union Carbide India Limited. I'm going to make my best attempt to keep the facts about UUC and UCIL separate. They're later treated as separate entities with no relation to their start. When I say Union Carbide, I mean the U.S. version and India Limited as the Union Carbide India Limited or UCIL. So let's go to the 60s. The 60s was the start of UUC's divisions into hydrocarbons, metals, and electronics. Then, in the 70s, they sell off a lot of those divisions. That's how money is made, babes. <laughs> Making up stuff and then selling it off. That might piss off a couple of the business people, but it seems all made up to add complexity and just print money. I don't know how I feel about that. So, the Bhopal plant began operations in 1969. The government of India, once operations were off the ground, wanted to push all chemicals to be made in India and not from U.S. source stock chemicals. At the time of the incident, there were only two plants working with this process under the Union Carbide name generally, Bhopal, India, and Institute West Virginia. We'll come back to talk more about West Virginia towards the end as it has its own issues. India Limited and Union Carbide Engineers work together in West Virginia to learn about the 7 production, which was the main pesticide to be made. They wanted to do all this learning in West Virginia so that they could replicate the design in Bhopal. The goal was to learn what was going on and adapt it to India's conditions using Indian firms and Indian nationals to build it. By the late 1970s, the government of India required foreign companies to own 51% or less of all companies operating in India. Through exchanges, by 1978, the government of India ended up with 25% ownership in the Indian Limited portion with Union Carbide having some stakes still in it too. Fast forward to 1978. UUC and UCIL decide to shift Bhopal plant to methyl isocyanate process to produce seven. The parent company, UUC, regarded this process as more economical and efficient than the previous way of producing it. The new Bhopal methyl isocyanate unit is based off the design that UUC already had in Institute West Virginia. During the building of this new unit, they sent engineers from India to West Virginia to learn about the design and process safety, something they had done before in the past when they were first building the plant. In 1979, UCC engineers sent to India for pre-startup inspection of the Bhopal plant reported multiple deficiencies and safety measures. They also advised the UCIL management of the need to develop a contingency plan for alerting and evacuating nearby population in the event of a major gas leak, 
UCIL management later reported that they had developed such plans. City and state government officials claimed in 1984, during the time of the incident, that they were not aware of such plans. So the engineers in West Virginia were saying, like, already red flags in the late 70s that the reporting and the emergency response was not up to par and that Bhopal basically needed to, like, get their shit together or, you know, they weren't going to be in line with what was going on in West Virginia. The 1979 review was not the last of incidents that were going to happen before 1984. It was actually only the start. So we're going to walk through a couple of the things that happened. December 24th, 1981. One supervisor and two workers were exposed to a phosphagene leak during a maintenance operation. One of the workers died from the effects of the phosphagene inhalation. UCIL management says that he was at fault for removing his gas mask. Workers claim supervisors gave insufficient warnings. Accident reported to the main U.S. operations, UUC, and UUC's response plan included additional training and some design changes to prevent other accidents like that. Now, February 10th, 1982, 25 workers were injured when a pump seal failed and significant quantities of methyl isocyanate, phosphagene, and hydrochloric acid gases escaped into the plant. Some were treated on site and 16 were sent to a local hospital. In April 1982, two electricians suffer from minor burns when one drops a screwdriver into an electrical panel and it short circuits. State inspectors recommend better insulation of circuits. October 6, 1982, leaks of Methyl isocyanate, hydrochloric acid, and chloroform injure three workers seriously enough to require some hospitalization. Fifteen others less affected are given first aid at the plant. Some panic in the neighboring area. The state inspectors note several violations of normal operating procedures and recommend measures, including red tags on equipment that should not be used. By the end of 1982, There weren't any other U.S. UCC engineers left in Bhopal. They had either been replaced with Indian nationals or weren't needed because of the reductions to the plant. The pesticide business is pretty competitive, and it was actually kind of leaning to more markets that were outside of India. So UUC was kind of focusing its time and energy and resources and technologies elsewhere. At the beginning of 1984, the Bhopal plant was only operating at 20%. UUC had reduced its share in the company to about 40%. So UCIL engineers had lots of concerns that were building up, especially from the accidents that had happened in previous years. Communication between supervisors and maintenance was awful. Staff didn't know what to do during abnormal operations and conditions, and the safety meetings were few and far between. Also, one of the gas scrubbers was not working properly, and this was something that they knew at the beginning of 1984. Gas scrubbers are pollution cleanup machines. I used to know a lot about gas scrubbers once, and then I just erased it and pushed it back to the back of my brain with all the other chemical engineering-related trauma. If I ever need to learn more about gas scrubbers, I'll figure that out, but 
The most that you need to know is that they clean up the air before it's released to the atmosphere. And that thing for the methyl isocyanate was not working properly. During all the safety issues, UUC US engineers come to the plant and make recommendations for improvements. In the summer of 1984, the UCIL says that all changes have been made with the exception of a feed tank valve to be delivered later. Fast forward to September 1984, halfway across the world, UC, UCC engineers had concerns at Institute West Virginia plant. They reported things like some aspects of the plant operation and the possibility of a runaway reaction in the methyl isocyanate storage tanks, which the methyl isocyanate storage tanks in Institute West Virginia were bigger than the ones that were at Bhopal. So while all of this is happening, money issues are in the background. Union Carbide is considered closing the Bhopal location and moving it to other countries like Brazil or Indonesia. Again, more globalization or imperialism. Now, I will say that there's no indication that the plant was initially built in India or West Virginia for the exploitation of environmental regulations. Most of the locations were chosen based on the demand in that area. For my research, the move is going to happen because the demand for pesticides in India had dropped. Anyway, towards the end of 1984, reductions continued. The rest of the MIC to be used was made and stored in two tanks. MIC production was stopped, and the plant was to use MIC in small batches for the seven pesticide production. Everyone working in the area making MIC was moved to other parts of production. Through all that history, we're back at December 2nd, 1984. At 11 p.m., while most of the 1 million residents of Bhopal slept, an operator at the plant noticed a small leak of methyl isocyanate gas and increasing pressure inside the storage tank. The vent gas scrubber, a safety device designed to neutralize toxic discharge from the MIC system, had been turned off three weeks prior. A faulty valve had allowed one ton of water for cleaning internal pipes to mix with 40 tons of MIC, a 30-ton refrigeration unit that normally served as a safety component to cool down the MIC storage tank had been drained of its coolant for use in other parts of the plant. Pressure and heat from the vigorous exothermic reaction in the tank continued to build. The gas flare safety system was out of action and had been for three months. Around 1 a.m. December 3rd, loud rumbling reverberated around the plant as a safety valve gave way, sending a plume of MIC gas into the early morning. That's from Edward Broughton from Environmental Health Journal. UUC has a different version of events than everyone else who's looked into this incident. So first, if you type in Bhopal, so B-H-O-P-A-L dot com, it directs you straight to the Union Carbide Bhopal information pages with the UUC version of events. I think it's interesting that part of the settlement says that UCC and UCIL have no liability, but those are the same people who are in control of the Bhopal website, at least Union Carbide, so UCC. 
even if you just wanted to talk about Bhopal as a place, you cannot have the website. In the words of Cardi B, that's suspicious. That's weird. UUC and their investigators really disagree on how water got into the tank between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. on December 2nd. Directly from the UUC Bhopal disaster webpage, UUC's investigation provided with virtual certainty that the disaster was caused by a direct entry of water into tank 610 through a hose connected to the tank. Later, the UCC states, early accounts of the disaster that focus on the government of India's theory that water washing caused the accident were disproven. All parties agreed that water in the MIC caused a heat-producing reaction, the safety valve opened, and released the toxic plume. After 11 p.m., everyone's back on the same page. The gas is released, and because of the properties of MIC, the MIC crawls through the surrounding area. Once the gas was released, over a half million people were exposed, and because the plant and the growing city, settlements had developed all around that plant area. The numbers are very unclear and disputed, but about 3,800 people died directly from exposure. In the following days, 4,000 more people passed due to exposure, and over 20,000 premature deaths were added to account for direct lasting impacts. So many people during that time passed that they could not be buried in accordance with their specific religious traditions and practices. To see photos of this, I would definitely take a look at sources to the Atlantic in the description. I'll post photos of the event, but many of the photos of the people afterwards are so heartbreaking, so you can seek those out if you like, just for added storytelling. So now to after the events. The CEO of UCC, Warren Anderson, and a technical team go to India about a day after the incident. UUC, which was headquartered in Connecticut at the time, learned of the incident and Anderson had made that decision to immediately go. That seems kind of fast to me for the 80s to get to India, but Dow nowadays in 2021 does have two corporate jets for their high-level employees So it actually isn't that far-fetched that they got some emergency tickets or got a ride halfway across the world one day after the event. When Anderson arrives in India, he is immediately put on house arrest. The government of India was like... Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Anderson is back in the States to testify before the U.S. Congress, assuring everyone that something like this could never happen again. This was from the UCC website, and I couldn't find a video of Anderson testifying to Congress. So if anyone finds that, let me know, because I'm a big C-SPAN fan. It's my favorite channel. After all of this went down, people wanted to see Warren Anderson convicted. As CEO of Union Carbide, they put a lot of blame on him. From the Washington Post, in 2009 interview with the Associated Press, Mr. Anderson's wife, Lillian, said he has been haunted for many years by the disaster. 
She said her husband was unfairly targeted. Lillian goes on to say, every time somebody wanted to sue the company, there would be some kind of thing that happened and they would be chasing after Warren, falling to the dump with our trash, she said. This is a 25 years of unfair treatment before CEOs were paid what they're paid today. And Anderson ended up passing away in 2014 at the age of 92. All right, I'm about to do a little bit of political ranting because CEO pay was mentioned. So skip ahead 15, 30 seconds if you don't want to hear this. Every single podcast in the last week ends up talking about the dress. So here I am too thinking about the dress because CEO pay was brought up. I'm not going to directly address it, but let me say from John Jacques Rousseau, I don't know how to say that because I'm not French, when the people shall have no more to eat, they will eat the rich. Not just tax them, not just wave their fingers and point at them. People learn vocabulary like performative and ran with it, but I'm not going to defend elected officials, especially ones that don't directly represent me. I live in the South. I have enough to be upset about. I can't have an engineering podcast and not mention something related to the means of production. I'll talk more about all the political ideologies in later episodes in relations to incidents because, like it or not, they have an influence in the response to the problems. And I wanted to be a philosophy major anyway. So that's that's that. That's okay. Back to the incident. A nasty legal battle follows the incident. Because the UCC, UCIL, and the government of India all have shares, they pass around the blame for a couple of years. In 1989, the Supreme Court of India came to a settlement of $470 million, and all parties accepted. Payouts break down where UCC pays $425 million, UCIL pays the rupee equivalent of $45 million, including 5 million interim relief previously paid from 1984 to 1989. And in the U.S., the UCC around the same time had issues at the West Virginia location. In 1985, the EPA indicated there had been leaks of various chemicals from the Institute plant, the only place that produces MIC in the U.S. now. Union Carbide indicated none of the leaks were in high concentration to cause harm. And my opinion on that as a person with professional chemical engineering experience, I think that neither the UCC or the EPA know exactly what concentration is being leaked. If thresholds set by the EPA are not reached, I'm almost positive no one is recording them. That kind of gets left up to being inherent to operations. Is that right? Probably not. Is it common? Absolutely. Today, Union Carbide Corporation is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Dow Chemical Company and have been since 1999. In 2010, seven of the Union Carbide India Limited employees were convicted and fined. From the Dow Union Carbide Combined website, West Virginia operations consist of three separate facilities, including the South Charleston Manufacturing Site, the Technology Park, and guest operations at a site in the Institute that is owned and operated by Bayer Crop Science. 
Contamination claims for chemical companies are always happening, and Union Carbide, now under Dow, is no exception. In 2020, West Virginia Public Radio reported a lawsuit filed by Cortland Co., a private West Virginia-based landholding firm that owns property near Davis Creek, alleges Union Carbide has for decades knowingly leaked potential toxic pollutants into the waters of Davis Creek. There are news articles and revisits to this disaster that are updated as recently as January 2021. There was also a movie made about the incident in 2014 called Bhopal, A Prayer for Rain with Cal Penn, Misha Barton, and Martin Sheen that I am interested in watching but I didn't get to watch before I did this recording. Contamination is an ongoing issue in the area and the health effects are still present in Bhopal. There have been multiple lawsuits filed in the U.S. and in India, but the settlement removes Union Carbide Corporation from all liability. There has been no official remediation at the Bhopal site. The blame is passed and people there are still living the impacts. So what were the engineering misjudgments here? The first one I want to talk about is through all the things that I read, it seems that the Bhopal plant whether it be the fault of Union Carbide Corporation, Union Carbide India Limited, or the government of India, there was no HAZOP analysis. So a HAZOP analysis is a hazard and operability study. It's a risk assessment tool that a lot of engineers use. And the main reason you use it is as a communication tool for risks that may not be apparent to decision makers about the process. HAZOPs are the opposite of the phrase trust the process. They expect issues when things are not running as designed and try to communicate the downline effects of that upset condition. The next engineering misjudgment is poorly maintained equipment and safety systems. The control room operator noticed that the MIC tank pressure was higher but within normal limits the night of the incident. Then other workers noticed the MIC smell, then the MIC leak near the scrubber. Later, the pressure rises outside of normal conditions to the maximum reading. The operator tries to engage the scrubber during all of this, but it doesn't work as intended. The detection of the issue is not good. The Bhopal plant did not have a computer system to monitor conditions like the West Virginia location with the similar operation. Union Carbide Corporation maintains that Union Carbide India Limited and the government of India were responsible for the technologies used in the Bhopal location. The next engineering misjudgment is there was no emergency response planning within the plant or with the city officials. There was also inadequate training of a lot of the operators and shift supervisors at the plant. This also adds to the general skepticism that anyone would be able to sabotage the MIC tank the way that Union Carbide um, claims on all of their official documentation. And the last thing is that MIC storage was convenient, but it wasn't essential. So without going too deep into the chemistry, seven pesticide before 1969 it's produced using phosphogene and alpha naphthalol, but pro 
that reaction produces a lot of waste products. Phosphagene was used as a chemical weapon through World War I, so I understand making the change to using MIC, but there seems to not really been an engineering balance of risk, and there was only a thought of profit. Overall, good engineering was possible, but it didn't happen where it was needed, and Bhopal is still dealing with the impacts of those decisions. This is the second episode of three incidents that made me want to start this podcast. There is one more episode to complete the holy engineering misjudgment trinity. So come back next week for a new episode. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss any episodes. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ENG underscore misjudgment for photos and send a DM if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Thank you so much for listening. Dumb Spiro Sparrow. Bye.